Have you ever wondered how successful architecture, engineering, and construction companies scale their business? Or have you ever wanted guidance on how to get more growth, wealth, and freedom from your AEC company? Well, then you are in luck. Hi, I'm Will Forat. And I'm Justin Nagel, and we're your podcast hosts. We interview successful AEC business leaders to learn how they use people, process, and technology to scale their businesses. So sit back and get ready to learn from the industry's best. This is Building Scale. Today's guest is Dr. Troy Hall, founder of Cohesion Culture. Dr. Troy is an award-winning talent retention consultant, international speaker, and author of the best-selling titles, Cohesion Culture, Proven Principles to Retain Your Top Talent, and Fanny Rules, a mother's leadership lessons that will never grow old. He has been featured in the, on the Today Show, ABC, the global BBTV network, Beyond the Business Radio Show, and CEO World. As a founder of Cohesion Culture, he has dedicated his career to establishing a cycle of culture wellness in the corporate and professional sphere. Dr. Troy's executive coaching, coaching is built on the strategic framework of Cohesion Culture making the concepts of belonging, value, and shared commitment easy for organizations to adapt and implement. With that said, we are super happy to say welcome to the show, Dr. Troy. Well, thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. And if I were any better, I'd be you. Oh, wow. Compliments right out the gate. Love that. Love that. Well, I mean, it's how it works, right? You know, a flattery gets you everywhere. That's, that's why I always start the show saying how amazing our guests are, because it's just, you know, I assume then I'll get a compliment here and there. That's, that's the goal, at least. Well, I just say you did 25 cents worth, so it was great. <laughs> beautiful, 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 beautiful. Okay, so with uh, my wonderful introduction, please tell us in your words, uh, tell us your kind of origin story. One, how'd you become a doctor and uh, why, why culture and, and how is that kind of facilitated in your career? Well, I won't start back to it happened on a rainy day some <laughs> period of time ago. So we'll fast forward a little bit. And so basically, my PhD is in global leadership and entrepreneurship. My dissertation was in group dynamics with an emphasis on cohesion. And part of what I've always done through my career was developing people. It's about leadership and um, serving in a C-suite capacity for over 28 years um, you get an opportunity to be involved with a lot of different people, with a lot of different things happening. And the one thing that I always recognized is how important leadership is in an organization, whether you have individual contributors, supervisors, people managers, who you happen to be, all of this really interacts and it's what propels an organization forward. Um, so in 2019, when I first began thinking about writing a book, uh, it was around this conversation of, well, what do I want to be known for? What, what do I want people to recognize me as? And what would that look like? So it wasn't just, oh, I'm going to start writing a book. It was really a lot of thought behind the conversation. And I remember my dissertation chair, Dr. Winston, he told me, he said, there's two things about a dissertation you should know. He said, the best dissertation is one that's done. He said, so you're not going to solve world peace. You're not going to cure a disease. You're going to extend the literature. You're going to find something in the marketplace, something out there that you want to expand upon, and you're going to do that. That's what you'll do. And then somebody else will contribute to your work and contribute to the work. And that's how the work grows, which is really, it's a very good and important concept to understand. And so as I was approaching my authority voice, the same conversation, it says, be careful what you write about, because what you write about is what you'll be known for. 
And that's exactly what Dr. Winston said to me was the second part of the dissertation. He said, what you write about is what people will know you for. So it was group dynamics and cohesion. So looking into the marketplace, the thing that I recognized is um, I, I didn't want my voice just to be muffled. I didn't want, I didn't, I wanted to rise above the noise. Like how would people pay attention to anything that I had to say if I'm going to be contributing to um, people's knowledge and information and, you know, their experience. And so through the research, what was missing was talent retention. There was a lot of material around acquiring people and how you might train them and to do that. But there's very little books written about talent retention and leadership when they're focused in the right direction retains the talent within the organization. So I said, well, let's leverage my PhD and let's leverage my cohesion. That's what I wanted to be known for anyway. And hence created the cohesion culture program, which is a full wellness program that provides leadership development programs and executive coaching uh, to organizations and fortunate enough for me to be able to have clients around the world. And so that's how I got into, that's a little bit of background and how I got into the, the uh, cohesion culture program. So, okay, I want to go back for a second. How big of a problem is cohesion in the workplace and how do you quantify it? How do you, how would somebody now with a doctor's degree recognize it? Okay, so that's a really a good way to start is to make sure that everyone understands this cohesion culture. And by the way, when I talk about cohesion culture as a trademark program, what we're really talking about is the strategic elements of cohesion that I help leaders infuse into their organizations. And when you infuse cohesion into your organization, you're really focusing on three strategic elements, belonging, value, and shared mutual commitment. Those are the three strategic elements of my research around cohesion. So organizations infusing cohesion into their culture is really a great thing because it doesn't mean, oh, we're trying to make you a cohesion culture, like you have to change things that you already are doing. You have to totally scrap it and start over again. You infuse it. So if you have a culture of joy, of innovation, of achievement, sales, service, whatever that culture is, you're just layering cohesion into it. And cohesion is studied and measured uh, based on productivity. When those three elements are present in an organization, a company will see up to a 50% increase in their uh, productivity and creativity within the uh, company. So you would begin to, first of all, benchmark, well, what's the productivity level before we focus on creating cohesion? What is the, um, the level of creativity? How many new ideas are you getting? What's those ideas look like? How many ideas can you get and you can put to market? So that's kind of like a simple way you could do a benchmarking for it. Then when you really focused on getting the cohesion together, then you'd see the lift you have. And if you're an organization that already says, look, I have cohesion, I would ask you to really rethink that. You may have some elements, but you may not have it as fully bodied. And if you do, then you already have a benchmark. What would it look like if you upped the ante? And so that will give you a way to be able to benchmark it. And then some of the numbers that really make sense behind the scenes is that organizations around the globe that do not have cohesively functioned teams, they're very dysfunctional. They spend about $7 trillion annually on teams that just simply aren't getting along, that aren't working, that maybe do something together. You might think they're working, but they're really not humming in the way that you would have a well-oiled machine do. Um, 
for your expenses of employment, when people are moving from one job to the next, you see a 50% drag to your bottom line based on the overall value for that position. So if it's a $60,000 position, you're spending an additional $30,000 to replace that person. Not only are you replacing that individual, but you are also accounting for your acquisition efforts and energies, your onboarding, whatever uh, corporate trainings you need to have. But more importantly, the organizational intelligence that that person took with them. So imagine somebody there for three, five, 10 years, they know a lot of intimacies about the organization and how it works. Imagine the cost to you when that leaves, because then when new questions come up, the person either has to fumble through the procedure manual to find them, they have to put people on hold to see who they can call, transfer information. It becomes very convoluted and therefore you don't have really a smooth workforce fluid fluidity. And that's what you'll get with cohesion. Wow. So, okay. So you did three elements here. So you have um, belonging, value, and commitment. Obviously you've written a book on this and I'm not going to ask you to <laughs> word for word me the book, but for, for the listeners, what, like give the quick snapshot of those, why those three are so impactful for a cohesion culture. Okay, great. So they basically boils down to motivational theories and how we're motivated. So let's kind of unpack that just for a little bit as some foundation, and then we can move into why those three and then what do those three mean? So I use McClellan's need theory of motivation as really a basis for this. And it comes in three areas. It comes with affiliation. That's our need to connect, which we already know it's inherent in our DNA. We rather would connect with individuals. That's why we have relationships, why we have marriages, why we have uh, significant others, uh, you know, spouses, whatever that is. We have friends, we have, you know, colleagues and we get together. That, that's real important, our affiliation. And then mm -hmm. achievement, meaning that we want to accomplish something. We want to do something that really matters or makes a difference. And then the third element is about power, whether we're uh, applying organizational power or institutional power, that's part of our relationship pieces. So really those two primary areas of motivation, which are the affiliation and achievement, create the foundation for belonging and value. And then shared mutual commitment, how do you get the best out of shared mutual commitment is implementing uh, influential power because that's when people do things because it's the right thing to do because they want to do it. And now you have a shared mutual commitment that wasn't driven by, I told you, you had to do it. So that's the motivational background behind those three elements. And then belonging, it's really simple. It's a matter of having a person be included. They have to feel that there's a special sense of belonging, that, that I'm with the right group, I'm in the right area, I feel it. It's my emotional connection because that's all we have when we affiliate. It's an emotional connection. We may have said, oh, I want to find a partner. I want to find somebody with these characteristics who want to do these things. And you might have some, some uh, characteristics, but your real connection occurs through the relationship that you have. So it's, it's the emotional connection. So it's really tied with it. But belonging requires one more thing to have it. Otherwise, it's just faking to fit in. You have to have inclusion. So the ex best example that I can provide to individuals to understand the true element of belonging and inclusion is to say, I'm going to have a party. So I'm going to invite the two of you to my party. So Will and Justin, I'm inviting you to my party. Now you've got a sense like, oh, that's cool. I'm going to be at the cool table now, right? Because I'm going to go to a doctor party. It's going to be sweet. 
I've heard about these parties, by the way. I'm excited. And they are. They're knockouts. Yeah. So and when you get there, I take you around. I introduce you to some people. I make sure you know where the food is. I might even tell you where the bathroom is. Okay. Uh And also music is playing. And so I get you to dance. I get you to go up there and to dance. You see, now you're included because I've actively engaged you into this into this invitation. Mm -hmm. That's what happens in organizations to truly have belonging is that individuals are now feeling like they're a part of it. So you don't just hire a person and then say, oh, here's your little tasks to do. But you also ask them their opinion. You gain their insight. You find out what quality improvements can they bring to the organization. You find a way to allow their voice to manifest itself within their sphere of expertise that meets some expectation for the organization and what you might expect for that individual. So you are creating that sense of connection with the individual. And then with value, which is like that achievement, here's the deal. People want to do purposeful and meaningful work. They know sometimes they have to do work in order to survive and that's okay. But man, when that work can be meaningful and purposeful, and I know that I'm making a difference, all of a sudden I have a whole new freedom. I have a whole new sense of the way I show up as a human being in that space. Um, In that area of value, it's also trust and respect, right? So it's the social aspects of you interacting. That's also very important for, for value. And also to understand how your job connects to other people in the organization. So I say that this is a job that brings value to me. But the organization says it brings value to them when you remind them how it connects. So you understand what happens upstream and downstream of your job so that everyone feels that they are connected in what's happening in the organization, which is also now contributing to the sense of belonging. And now you're starting to see this cohesion sort of evolving in the way it can grow and develop from just that initial, hey, I've now, you know, I'm now part of this team or part of this company. And then with shared mutual commitment, you have to overlay a concept of transformational leadership. And transformational leadership is when the individual leader says, I will invest in others first and then self. My focus will be on you, then me. So it's not a martyrism, but it's just a matter of focus of attention. And the most significant way that organizations can do that is to remind people what their futures are. So in that onboarding experience, when you're first coming in, you create the shared mutual commitment by me saying to you, this is your future in this organization. This is where you can go based on your your performance, based on your education, based on whatever those criterias are uh, that will will allow you to uh, level up, right? And to move up within the organization. This is especially important because when I started in 2019, 63% of the workforce said, I need growth development and advancement to stay. Today, 71%. So again, clearly two thirds of the employees, not just new people joining, but two thirds of all employees want growth development and advancement. They wanna look for how can I be better prepared for the next opportunity that's available to them. And it's not that all these individuals are going like, oh, I want to clamor to be the CEO or I want to be the vice president. They just want growth development and advancement. And that will become the shared mutual commitment. So you see, I commit to you first. Now you're so free to commit to the desired organizational goals. 
And then part of the group identity and the group mentality that occurs with that belonging, when you feel like you're a part of that group or part of that team, and here are the team goals, you're like, oh, I want to participate. I'll do the team goals. Why? I feel valued. I know that my contributions are going to make a difference. Somebody isn't going to steal my ideas. Somebody is going to ask me to help. They're going to take suggestions that I have and see how we implement them into the process. Now I have a full body shared mutual commitment. And so we ask organizations to take the cohesion culture trademark program, lay it over top of their company and see where is the area of belonging value and shared mutual commitment? Where is it working? Where is it not working? Okay. Does that, so you layer it on top. So it's not like a, hey, we're changing your culture. We are enhancing it or or making it more cohesive. What happens when, you know, a lot of companies, and it's more more so now that they're trying to be more culture driven. But if, say ten years ago, that was certainly not the case. But even even to that fact, a lot of people are saying, "Oh, we have more culture," but like that's not real culture, as like as certainly a doctor <laughs> would say. Like, you know, I, I always give the example: you have a pinball machine in the break room. That doesn't mean you have culture. Like that, like that's right. a nice thing to have, um, but it does not create culture. So, what happens? For a company that is not, doesn't really have a culture stance, like how, how does how how can they layer on nothing essentially? Sure. Well, Justin, the first thing to know is that every organization, every household, every social space yes. has culture, right? Yes. A culture is a reflection of your traditions, your rituals, your customs, your norms, your beliefs. It's your symbols and your language. Now, you may have misplaced the emphasis of your culture by thinking that you can replace it with ping pong, uh, you know, uh, ping pong, uh, pinball machines, uh, yeah. you know, um, bring your dog to work Friday, yeah. um, you know, uh, beer trivia, uh, whatever those little items are. Yeah. But you see, those are extrinsic motivators. And so it reminds me that this is the message that needs to be delivered to people who are listening who might think they have their culture handled. They need to think and do their investigation. I talked a lot about the intrinsic needs for people to feel like they belong. You don't get belonging with a pinball machine, right? You get belonging based on your connections. I already said it was affiliation, so it's your connections. And it's important for organizations to understand that effective cultures are built in how you treat people, not the treats you give them. So a pinball machine might be a treat. Um, wooing people with a lot of money would be a treat, but you're not necessarily creating the value for individuals. Simon Sinek says that when individuals are fulfilled in their work, and that means that they understand their value, that they have that belonging and that they're participating in those commitments. That's the essence of what he means with fulfillment, that they will love their job. Well, additional research says that for employees who declare that they love their job, they love where they work, 87% of them are willing to stay. So it behooves the organization to put efforts and energies into these types of programs so that individuals can understand those elements, really bring those elements forward. And there's lots of other little like, like techniques and things and structure pieces that you'll put in place to be able to say it. So, you know, we've just talked conceptually about these belonging value and shared mutual commitment, but there are specific actionable items. And that's in my book, that's the third uh, section of the book. There's three acts of the book. The first act is on leadership. The second act is on the culture and how you build it. And then the third act is how you bring it to life. Very clear examples of things that you would do in an organization 
to really create that cohesive team. Got it. Uh, pardon me for the uh, not uh, describing culture properly because I, I shame on no, me. No, no, better. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's all good. So just, you know, it's just for clarification for when right. people are listening. We don't want someone to take away and go, oh, well, Dr. Troy said that I don't have a culture when I know I do. So I just want to make sure that everyone reflects that they have a culture, may not be the one they like, but they have one. No, that's absolutely. I just, um, there's this saying I say all the time that I, that I just recently decided I have to change how I say it, which is when somebody asks me, oh, what should I do about a job or whatever it is? I say, well, you should do what brings you joy. Um, and I've realized that I, I really should be saying you should do what brings you meaning because actually having more of a purposeful, you know, like happiness in comparison to a, you know, quick joy, uh, essentially right. that will fade um, is really the way I should look at it. So what you were saying totally is <laughs> completely that yeah. meaning and purpose are it is. massive it's, it's drivers. So, oh my gosh, that is so important that you said. And so just to pack, unpackage that a little bit for the listeners is this, your, your passion is the emotional connection you have with the purpose of what you're doing. So when you say you want to bring passion to your work, or you want to have passion, or I have passion in my work, the question is, is what is the purpose and meaning of your work? Because then the emotions of joy that you have, of fulfillment, those emotional connections that you make, you now understand because you know what your purpose is. Other than that, you're right. It's a synthetic layer that can evaporate if somehow we've not really connected to the purpose and meaning. And that's why it's important that organizational leaders make sure and value that they don't just say, here's your job description but they ex actually explain to you why your job is important. See, the job description says what you're doing. Job description rarely says why you're needed. That's what the leader has to do. The leader has to provide that information and always connecting you into the work that you're doing so that you create this fiber of connection so that it's not a synthetic or it's not a one-off. That's very insightful. I never thought about that. Nobody tells you the why, you know, everybody tells you what you're going to do, uh, you know, your role, whatever. And unless you have a good leader, you don't learn that why, which you would never be connected to something if you don't actually know the why. Which goes back to your Simon Sinek and why he's actually had a lot of influence on, on your work. Totally makes sense now. Because I mean, that's a big portion of what he does. So very cool to kind of tie that there. Yeah. So. You know, you, you talked about in your book, Engagement's Not Enough. Could you elaborate a little bit more as to why that is? Sure. So I, you often will hear me say that engagement is out, cohesion is in. Um, and I, I do it to make a point. I actually had a little bit of a conversation on social media with someone who thought I was dissing them because they are an engagement model and they do engagement. And I was trying to explain how the literature has evolved. And what may have been appropriate when we took a look at the way we would create employee engagement in the past has evolved, it's stepped up and cohesion is now a big player in the engagement of individuals. So first of all, I would suspect that individuals in an organization want employees who are helpful, helpful, active, vested and eager. That's what they're looking for. These are the engaged employees. How do you get that? Well, cohesion is a causal phenomenon, not a correlational. So correlation is when you make statistical relationships between things and you can kind of say there's some forecasting you might be able to do and that's gonna be great, you're gonna do it. But you, if you wanna predict behavior, you need a causal phenomenon, which means you have cause and effect. So to help our listeners 
understand this concept a little bit, I need a volunteer. So which one of you wants to volunteer for me to ask a few questions? I promise no one's been harmed in the answering of these questions. <laughs> I'm happy. I'm happy to be the victim or, or the contestant, depending oh, on how you look at it. Or the contestant. That's right. Yes. So you'll be uh, the, uh, the victimized contestant. Here we go. <laughs> so the, the first question is, have you experienced a rainy day? Of course. Of course. Do you, do you open an umbrella on a rainy day? Sometimes. Sometimes. So you don't always open the umbrella. Correct. Okay. Have you been to the beach? Of course. Okay. Will noticed I did not ask him what he was wearing when he was at the beach. Okay. So I, I noticed. You, yeah, good. So when you're at the beach, have you seen umbrellas opened? Yes, I have. And has it been raining when those umbrellas were opened? Uh, sometimes. <laughs> It could be. But for the most part, right, we don't go to a beach with an Correct. umbrella open. Because Usually we it's it not rain. because of the rain. Usually That's it's not right. because of the rain. Good. So I can, for forecasting, make a statistical relationship between umbrellas being opened or sold during rainy days or umbrellas that are used for sunny activities. And I can create the statistical relationship, but it's not causal. So Sunny days do not cause umbrellas to be opened. Rainy days do not cause umbrellas to be open. Umbrellas open do not cause either one of them. They're just a function of relationship between the two. So you will still use correlational data to help you forecast. Mm -hmm. But if you want to predict causal behavior in the way individuals will interact, you need that element and cohesion is it. It's a causal phenomenon. So the research says that when cohesion is present, you get performance every single time. And the level of performance you get provides engaged employees. So correlation to this in the past would have been make your employees happy, make your employees satisfied. Imagine the amount of work that has to go through to make people happy and satisfied. Imagine the work. It's exhausting for an organization to do it. But what if you had everybody contributing to the engagement by you saying, do you belong? Do you feel like you belong? Here's the activities for you to belong. Here's your activities for you to feel like your work you're doing is meaningful and purposeful. Um, what about our shared mutual commitments? And I commit to you and tell you about your future. And then you got your work, work projects and you do that. And that's all happening. And now I'm, I'm getting performance out of it. I don't always get performance out of happy people. I get happy people who will sit there and just do nothing, but they're happy. And that's not what you want. You want the performance and the engagement to come along together. So you need to have cohesion. That's why it's so important for organizations to focus on it and to make sure that it is infused as a part of their culture so that those fundamental core values that they have, they have a core value of achievement or of excellence. Uh, they may have one of joy, as I've mentioned before, or, or innovation, uh, teamwork, honesty, whatever those core values are, you have them, but now you infuse the cohesion concept into that. Those core values come to life, and now cohesion wraps around it. And that's what I show on page 103 of the book, the talent retention model of how the cohesion culture wraps around the core values of the organization and is supported by the principles and practices and strategies of the HR group. And then inside the organization, you have relating and learning activities that need to be done that will actually be your sustainability. So that's what's kind of provided in a, in a maybe a visual overshell or overlook as to uh, cohesion culture and how you infuse it into the workplace.
you know, it's really interesting, you know, being a seven trillion dollar problem, uh, which you mentioned before. And, you know, there's, a, I would say, you know, a, an awareness to it or a lack of awareness in understanding like what's happening. So when someone becomes aware of it, is there a way, a measurement, like a lot of things are driven in business by KPIs and key performance indicators, metrics, et cetera. Is there a way to measure cohesion? Um, sure. So uh, one of the things that I offer is an assessment tool that you implement before you do a lot of changes. This will give you your benchmark into level set where you are in the organization. And then a year after you have done activities, then we re do the assessment again, carving out people who are brand new, who weren't impacted by the old, and individuals who were impacted by what was old and changed, so that you can see the difference between those individuals who are now feeling really great about your organization that doesn't have any of the baggage, and those individuals who have baggage, how are they feeling about it? So we can create some benchmarking for that. The other thing to also think about is as you're building cohesion within your organization, you're going to see this upward mobility opportunity that will come. So you can begin to track the amount of um, uh, promotions and the career tracking of individuals who are individuals who've demonstrated, I feel like I'm a part, I'm a contributor to the organization. And you may have some criteria for what that can be, then you can measure the performance of it from there. So um, the scales that we use in the assessment tool are ones that have, are valid and reliable meaning that they produce the outcome that is expected. And those tools, when they have been applied over multiple individuals, will receive the same or similar results. And that's what you want is some mechanism that gives you a valid response, as opposed to I'm just sort of guessing whether or not I have it into the, um, into the organization. And then you'll start to see other places where when the team is truly working and gelling together, you will see less turnover so you can actually reinvent your turnover. What I like for organizations to do is to say, well, if you turn over 10% of your employees, I'll say, well, then reevaluate that and say you retain 90% of your people. So change the vernacular of the way you look at things will also produce very positive and empowering results as well. So there's so many things that, that you can add to you know, what you're doing that will really contribute to some of those uh, additional benchmark items uh, later on. Wow. <laughs> That's my first wow. <laughs> you got a wealth of information and I'm trying to take it all in. I hope our, our listeners are really like taking note and probably re-listen to this episode because there's a lot of information to unpack here and then reflect within within their organization. So super, super cool. And I, I hope that it makes an impact. Um so you talked a little bit about measuring. Is there a simple question or way, like if someone wants to reflect, right? So if someone listens to this episode, uh, either leadership to sort of go, okay, how much do, do I have? Maybe at, at a very, very high level, right? But is there a way to measure that? Or sure. Go, on, my hey, web, on, on my website, drtroyhall.com. So it's drtroyhall.com. Real simple, 10 letters plus a .com. Uh, there is a uh, quiz that you can take uh, there, and that quiz has 10 questions. Uh, you'll get um, the information that'll come back to you in an email form that says, thank you, here's the score. And then there's a PDF attached. When you open the PDF, it tells you, based on your score, whether you're in the 
you know, the troubled zone, whether you're kind of, you know, okay, or, or you're really doing well, but you can improve some. And there's a few little tips or suggestions that come with this. So I offer that to everybody, you know, automatically, just so that they can get a good feel, they can rate their organizations, where they feel their organization's culture is, and then that'll give them some information. The hardest part with the with doing that, you have individual contributors who aren't empowered to make changes in the organization. Uh, most individual contributors, when the culture isn't working, they already know it. So they don't need a survey to remind them that's not working. But I felt that people had the question just like you did, and I didn't want to not answer it. So I provided a mechanism for them to be able to at least answer and get some additional information. And then they can connect with me if they want to talk more. And um, um, so, and and I, I've I have so many programs that all wrap around the cohesion culture. We've got education, leadership development. I have a five module online course that people can take that is self-directed. Uh, they can also connect with me to create part of a cohort learning experience while I offer these quarterly sessions where if they've taken that, they can then become part of this uh, quarterly uh, work so they can expand and develop what they learned uh, through the program. And the unique thing about the, um, the course is you start out on day one, so you have seven days to complete the first module. You can't open module two until seven days after you start it. So you can't just go flipping through it and say, oh, I'm going to complete all five modules in you know, one hour sitting at the computer. It's based very specifically on the logic of I need to absorb the information. And there's the weekly assignments that you do to help you figure out what comes next so that you're Picking up on that information, it's not just skirting over you. You actually should be applying it um, and builds through. I ask three things for individuals who want to take the course. The first is agree that you're a leader. Everybody who answers questions does work within an organization, whether you have people reporting to you or not, you're a leader. Uh, the second thing is be teachable. Uh, have an open mind. Don't come into the course like I already know everything. Uh, yeah, I've heard that before. It's likely you may have heard a piece of it, but you've never heard it the way I will describe it. And then lastly is view everything from the lens of a CEO. Understand what it would be like if I ran the company. And the beauty behind this program is it's built for the leader and the individual contributor. You see, it's transparency. That's the number one thing that individual contributors and leaders need to have is transparency. So if an individual contributor of a company understands the way their leader is supposed to act, and their leader knows that the individual contributor knows how they're supposed to act. It's sort of like I've told the Penn and Teller magic trick, right? It's no longer magic. I've now told you exactly how it works. But nonetheless, it now keeps everybody um, authentic because now that veil of transparency is right there. And you understand why do you do these things and what I would have as my response as a result of those things being done. So I know it's a little bit out of your question about benchmarking. But it is tools, it's information for people to help them start to, to figure out what they need to do. I, I, I am a proponent of benchmarking, but for the most part, people have already benchmarked. Like they just need to get into action. And that's why I mentioned this online program and why I created it is because I don't want to keep having conversations about cohesion and nobody do anything. I want to not only have the conversation about it, but I want to give them an opportunity to experience it and to find it for themselves so that they can replicate it in the organization. Because without that replication, then it doesn't matter either. Oh, that's 
again, I can't agree more. Talking about something's great, but doing something that's that's really what that's really what we, what we need to focus on. Yeah. So just just as you had said, cohesion is kind of the the deeper component in comparison to engagement. Right? Engagement we've 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 evolved to this this next thing. When when we think about business and we think about culture and trying to better a culture or make it healthier. Um, if we go back 30 years, like this was something that was either just starting to be talked about or not really talked about at all. Um, do you think 30 years from now, like cohesion is, it, we will just be really, we'll be much better at this <laughs> across the board. Like we'll just become better at like knowing more about culture and, and trying to change it for the better and more about cohesion. I think we will be better, but how much better is left to be said. For the past 2000 years, we've still been trying to figure out how to treat people. And we're not necessarily that much better at it. If you think about what's happening in the social context today, and we're not gonna turn this podcast into the social context of what's, been, of what's happening in the various spheres of things regarding- Thank you, thank you for that. Or whatever, <laughs> but, but think about it, right? You know, we had significant things that occurred in time period. We've had women's rights to vote, but yet women still are not necessarily equal today. We have had social justice movements through the civil rights movement, but we've not managed to, ma to master it. Have we gotten better? A little bit. So I then say, human nature tells me we will get better at cohesion, but it's not gonna be solved in 30 years because what gets in our way is some of our own personal desires. We are such creatures of what we need and what we want. And we also live in the US, the largest individualistic culture in the world. It's always about what's in it for me with them, right? What is it? I need to know what's in it for me before I will do something else. It's why transformational leadership works in this country, because you're focusing on others first and then self. So when you understand that, oh, that works really well. That's also a collective mindset that you might have in some European countries where the concept is focusing on others uh, versus more self-servant sort of uh, cultures such as the Asian community that really just sort of gives everything to the individual and they don't always think about themselves. So it's again, understanding the dynamics of people, the dynamics of social behavior. Um, you know, I would just say this from a biblical reference, you have Cain and Abel, didn't get along, didn't work it out. Guess what? 2,000 years, we're still trying to work out our Cain's and Abel's. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good, that's a good reference there. I, I, I can appreciate that. So when we, especially America, we think about America and we think about um, CEOs over time. We think of the, you know, the, the Jack Welches, the, the Elons, the Bezos, the Jobs, the Gates, all, all of them do you know, what, what, what do they do for like the, the evolving of, of a you know, caring culture, a cohesive culture? Like what, what, what happens when you have a Jack in place for 30 years and then people see how great the stock was like, what, what, I mean, I have to imagine this is a best, uh, a, a very massive negative in regards to the eyes of more of a caring and cohesive culture. So if you're thinking about infusing cohesion into your culture, you have agreed to balancing people and profit. Transformational leadership allows you to balance people and profit. So organizations that wanna have that 
then they'll be under that mindset. Your Bezos, your Musk, your Jack Welch, the younger Jack Welch, by the way, as he got older, he softened and mellowed. Um, he was about that 10%, get rid of the 10%. Um, but he learned that it isn't always about that. And if you watch some of the uh, interviews that were done on YouTube today, you'll see that he molded, he even evolved. But when you have individuals out there, and I can't tell you exactly whether they are or not. So I don't want people to say, I'm saying that, you know, these leaders that we just mentioned by name mm -hmm. are what I call, or what is called today, uh, charismatic leaders, not just leaders with charisma, but charismatic leaders. It, leaders who have, uh, who fall under the construct of charismatic leaders are self-focused. Um, people get along with them because they're taking them on a vision, a place where they can be. They're, they're also earning money and their profitability is, is doing well. Um, as long as you don't uh, countermand the boss in the charismatic leadership, then, the, then everything is fine. The moment you disagree, you're fired. Now, we can take a look in the political arena and see where does that fall true. So all of a sudden now you can see how these behaviors that individuals have can contribute. I like to think I have charisma, but I'm not a charismatic leader. I'm not asking people to sacrifice themselves for the work that I think is important to do. I have important work to do that I want to bring people along with me to be able to say, yes, you think it's important, so look good. How do we do that important work? Not, oh, everything is about me. And that's really the difference. And so what we end up in America is we get a lot of attention from these leaders who actually come forward like that. And this is who we want to emulate, right? We go, well, I wanna make the profits. Here's the bottom line because we're an individualistic culture. But there are other individuals, Dave Thomas from Wendy's passed away, but a great, tremendous leader, Mary Kay Ash, today is still known as one of the 50 most influential women of business today. And she built her entire business on the golden rule of how you treat people. So there is the possibility for you to have profits and to have this caring culture, but you as the leader have to want it. And if you don't want it, it doesn't happen. You have organizational leaders who have during this pandemic, uh, when we felt like we were normalizing to a point where maybe people would come back into the office because with that safety and protection issue wasn't any longer the big deal. Now what's the big deal is, okay, we now need to continue to figure about work and culture. And those organizational leaders that put down very hard demands saying, look, we've got to return back to the workforce in the building. Because if, we if we're not in the building, we're not productive, we're not whatever. But that doesn't work. That that kind of leadership is not the leadership that's driving. And each of those leaders who have come forward and said that, they've now retracted their thought process. Because why? 48 million people told them last year that wasn't going to work. Because if you looked at, at businesses during the pandemic that were not just service related, where they needed like um, restaurants or uh, car washes or you know, cleaners or things like that, where you needed people, a lot of interaction to transact the business. Those did not, were not as successful. Most other businesses, they were extremely successful. In the financial market, many companies had eight months or eight quarters of, 
consistent high volume of profitability and people were working remotely. So what happens now is you build into this concept that you have to now be open-minded, you have to be teachable. It's why on page 20 of the book, when I start with the seven attributes of an effective leader, I start with teachable. That's the leadership that is needed today. Will you be teachable? I don't know that Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos is teachable. I don't know that, you know, guy in charge of Meta, AKA Facebook, I don't know <laughs> that, that he is teachable. I think he has direction. Steve, was Steve Jobs teachable? I don't know. Is Bill Gates teachable? I don't know. But what I know is if you want to be a successful leader, you have to be teachable, meaning that you've got to take in new information and it has to come from a variety of sources, not just what you think is the right thing to do. Am I saying that a leader should not have a vision? No, I did not say that. But we talked about creating a caring and profitable company. And when we do, there has to be a shared vision that comes as part of that shared mutual commitment that I can align with what is actually happening. And it makes sense for me as an individual contributor to say, yes, each and every day, I'm going to wake up knowing that I'm going to come into this organization and I'm not going to get screwed over. I'm not going to come into this organization and give my life and then get a gold watch at the end of 30 years, but not be taken care of at any time, thinking that I'm going to get the big reward at the end. No. Organizations who have this caring culture, who have this cohesion culture and this profitability are doing it lock and step along the way. They're not waiting for some big payoff at the end of some 10, 20 or 30 year time period. That kind of fits into the conscious capitalism, stakeholder capitalism. Capitalism. I My guess is you're familiar with those terms. It's going to be my guess by a hair. Um, can you, and I know that... Uh, you know, we're, 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 we're pulling, we're pulling you all different directions, but can you speak on that in, in comparison? So listeners have a little bit better of understanding of the difference, I guess, of general capitalism or normal capitalism compared to these um, concepts that are being uh, more popularized, I guess. I don't think that they're old <laughs> concepts. I just think that they're being more popularized now. So when you talk about capitalism, what does that mean to you? When I say the word capitalism, I, I think it's very, very money driven. That is gen a generalization, but yeah. that's what I think most people would say. That's how America makes money. You do it for the dollar. And that's sure. that's what's important. Well, money making money is important. So <laughs> I'm not telling you that it's not. I'm telling you to infuse cohesion into your capital conversation. I'm saying then you get you get more sustainable results. It's actually less effort on the organization because people are doing it because they know what they're doing and because they want to do it, not because somebody has to stand over top of them and tell them. In that, in that general capital sort of environment, you have to have so much intensity on people making sure that they're in the seat doing the job. When you have a little bit more freedom that comes with that infusion of cohesion into the culture, then the organization is still producing profits but they're not doing so by making sure that people are in the seats. They're making sure that the quality of the work that's being done is actually the result. And you then create this creativity and productivity levels that go off the charts. People are more uh, inclined to think of new ways and better ways and contribute. And it doesn't put all the pressure on the individual leader to be able to come up with all of that. So I don't ever wanna take away from an organization making money. I never want to do that, but I don't see a reason why you can't take care of people while you're making money. I don't understand why you have to say, in order for me to make the most money, I've got to treat people like crap. 
I mean, why do you want to have a crack culture when you can have a cohesion culture? I mean, seriously. No, that's a very, very good point. Uh, and when you say it like that, it seems very obvious. Yeah. So I got a last question. We like asking this question on, uh, on every podcast. So I'm going to ask you, if you were to go back 20 years, what would you tell yourself? Well, first of all, I would say, okay, get this concept of cohesion in early <laughs> because it's going to be good for you. You just need to get it going. And I, I, I don't think I would have waited so long. I, and I, wouldn't, I didn't know what it was then. Like sometimes you're, you intuitively do the right things. Like I've always known taking care of people are the right thing. It's a lesson that my mom taught me very early on in life. And I didn't have to worry too much about, um, you know, what that may be, my social interactions with people. But I would definitely say if I could now have identified it as cohesion, then maybe I would have gotten a jump to start on Justin's question about what would be happening in 30 years. That's true. That's true. Okay. Definitely very insightful. Uh, awesome guest. Are there any last things that you want to tell our listeners? Um before we sign off today? Well, the one thing I wanna do is I wanna help them get started on this concept. And so there is one thing to do and that is to focus on greeting. I would like the listeners to really focus on greetings in their organization. And it's not just the hellos and how are you's, which are your synthetic and surface greeting, but to really connect with people. It should always be about connection before content. And how you talk to individuals and the questions that you ask them create that greeting that you, that you have. I had an opportunity to interview and to work with some of the leaders at Duke Manufacturing in Prague. And one of the questions I asked them is, tell me something that your employees always say that has been helpful to you as a leader that you've adopted into your organization. And they said greetings. They said that it always comes up on the employee surveys. It's very important to them. They said that the employees don't really care that they remember their name they don't care that the senior leader knows whether they have dogs or kids or what their activities were for the weekend. But what they cared about is that they greeted them in a way that involved them and included them into things. And sometimes that greeting might ask them, how are things going? What can we do better? How can we improve it? So the greeting goes beyond just the concept of, hey, how are you today, which is that synthetic, but to build inside of that organization something that is authentic. And that is creating the relationships and creating the connections with people so that you can create that connection before content. So really focus on the greeting, listen to who's doing it, listen to how available and accessible are the senior leaders within an organization. Is it only the immediate supervisor or the people manager who has contact with the individual contributor? Do people stay in their offices? Do they, do they interact when you're on Zoom calls? Do they only come on when the meeting starts and then are they off when the, when the call is over? Do you create these? opportunities for greetings and this um, sort of interactions that you can have these informal interactions by having your Zoom meeting start five or 10 minutes before, just like you would in a real office when people would walk in and sit down in the office and talk a little bit beforehand. Do you do that? If you do have a Zoom meeting, do you actually have people talking? Are you actually creating any conversation or is everyone just silent until the person starting the meeting actually talks? And that can be very indicative to the culture of the organization. And those little simple activities that I realm or I, I kind of put under the realm of, of greetings, I can really do a lot for an organization to jumpstart their sense of belonging. Makes, makes me feel even better about uh, how we do things at that spot. So uh, <laughs> thank you for that. 
uh, now reflecting on how you talked about that. That's awesome. Great. Um, if anyone wanted to get a hold of you, how would they, how they best do that? Uh, the easiest way is at uh, drtroyhall.com, drtroyhall.com, and there is a connect option and there's a schedule option. So I'll let you schedule time with me, 15, 30, an hour. Uh, and the only person who's in charge of my busyness is me. So I'll let you connect and figure out what you'd like to do. And um, I, I would love to connect with individuals. I help organizations. You know, this is a reminder. I help them. I guide the leaders to retain their talent. I help them infuse cohesion into their cultures so they can create safe workspaces where people have a sense of belonging, value, and shared mutual commitment. And the most important thing for leaders is to know they don't have to know everything. They don't have to do everything. They just have to remember this one very simple mantra. You don't have to know everything. You just need to be teachable. Love it. I love it. Love it. Love it. Uh, I know uh, I will drop in Dr. Troy Hall uh, into the show notes as well as I think there was a, a book, uh, you know, book uh, place to go. So we'll, we'll put that in there as well. Uh, and any other social stuff for Dr. Troy. Um, it was very, uh, for me, very, very impactful. I'm, I'm, I think purpose-driven, uh, you know, I think that the whole concept is, uh, for me, over the moon and beyond. Uh, and I, I'll try to steal some time with you. Not too much time, because I know I've already no, taken a bunch of years. <laughs> no, it's, it's all good. You know, when you think about it, wouldn't employees rather follow an intentional leader than one who's accidental? So what are you going to do that's purposeful and intentional about your work? That's what I get great joy out of. And that's where my performance and executive coaching comes in is to help these leaders, not only here are the big programs that they need to put in, but how do they need to change the mindset, the mentality of the leader to really support this program once you put it in place. It's not just a series of programs. It's not training where you give people a pill and they all of a sudden now get it. It has to be supplemented by leadership within the organization because leadership is the true talent retention uh, initiative within any company. It's literally like you, you have a access into my brain and the things I can't unlock yet. So you've got the keys. I, I gotta, I gotta steal them from you somehow. Okay. Superman. <laughs> All right. Looking forward. I'll hold you to it, Justin. If not, oh, I'm coming back on. If not, I'm going to do a problem. session with Will and we're going to talk about you the whole time. So oh, all right. Okay. Okay. I hear okay. it. So, um, <laughs> we'll put all that in the show notes. Uh, Dr. Troy's amazing. If you've listened to this, you obviously know that by this point. Um, and for our listeners, until next time, adios. Adios. Thank you for joining us today and listening to this episode. If this episode did help you, then be sure to share it with someone else who needs to hear it. If you want to be a guest on the podcast or are looking for additional help on your journey to find more wealth, scale, and freedom in your AEC company, visit our AEC resources page at spotmigration.com backslash AEC hyphen resources. resources.